Um, for those of you who don't know me again, my name is, is Todd Gizak. My wife uh, and I and, and three boys, are, have, we've been here with you for about three years. Um, and we're going to continue today in the book of Matthew. So if you, if you have a Bible with you, hopefully all of us do, let's open up to Matthew chapter 8. Verse 14 through 17 is going to be our text. Just four verses. They're certainly uh, rich, rich verses. And as, I, as I've been preparing for this, um, and, and sort of my own, my own rubric, if you will, of, of uh, studying the Scriptures, I try to ask myself three questions. One question is, the first question is, what, is, what does the Scripture say? Um, that's a fairly easy question to, to answer. It's right there. It's in black and white. You can read it. Um, but, but there's more. And, and what the Scripture says uh, is, is part of the story. But we're, we're to transcend academic knowledge. We're to transcend just reading the Scripture and knowing what the Scripture says. And so I ask myself this, the second question. What does the Scripture mean? Um, what, is, what is the meaning of what is being said here? This is a bit more challenging uh, sometimes. We're told certainly that the that the word of God is living and powerful, right? Hebrews tells us that that it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and uh, and it's a discerner of the of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and that's uh, that's from Hebrews. So when we read the word of God, we're reading something that's alive, something that's much more than just academic, just something much more than ink on a page. And and finally, the question, the last question I ask myself is, how can I apply this word to my life? What does it mean to me as an individual pilgriming with you as a, as a sheep of God? Um, learning more of Him, learning what it means to, to follow Him each day. And, uh, and, and I, so I encourage you as we study this to consider those questions. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture mean? And how can I apply this uh, to my life? Certainly, I believe that... Um, that the scripture changes us, God's word changes us, and our, our belief translates into changed lives. So with that said, let's read these verses. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, And the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So, verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. What can we, what does the scripture say? Well, we learn, certainly, something that's uh, obvious. Peter was obviously married, right? Um, It's a fact. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 reinforces this. First to Peter and, and the other apostles, some of them having wives. But beyond that, I think it also provides some context. 
Peter, we, we uh, read about earlier in Matthew when he was called. He's a fisherman. He has a career. He has a, a family. He has um, a wife and his mother-in-law living with him uh, in his house. And I think as I've read this and considered this, it sort of adds a context to his decision to arise and follow Christ. When Jesus called him, it says he arose immediately and followed him. And, I, and it's, um, it's special to me to consider this as a man who has a wife, who has a family, who has his own mother-in-law, uh, how, this, um, how this might have looked for Peter. He counted the cost. And, uh, and he followed Christ. And um, when Jesus called him, he, he left everything and followed him. We also learn here that uh, something that's very, very precious, that Jesus came into his house. And Jesus was the one that noticed that his mother-in-law was ill. It's, uh, last night I was praying because I had, I had a fever myself. <laughs> and... Uh, and it sort of added a, uh, added a special meaning to this to consider that, uh, that when Jesus walked in to this situation and saw his mother sick, that he touched her and the fever left her. So verse 15, so he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. Now early, earlier in chapter 8, we've read about a couple other healings. We read about uh, the leper who came to Jesus worshiping and, uh, and with recognition of Christ's ability to make him clean. And there's a, there's a humility there um, that is worth noting. And he heals later on. He's, now, a leper, of course, we know, is a, uh, the lowest of the low, the out, an outcast of the community. Later in, in chapter 8, he heals, Jesus heals a centurion with the word from a distance. The centurion, as, uh, as Steve reminded us a couple of weeks ago, uh, Roman Gentile, not a Jew, not particularly uh, humble, but still he comes to Jesus recognizing Jesus' authority. And here we have Peter's mother-in-law Responding to the touch of Christ. What does she do? She arises and she serves them. Ministers to them. And I think as I've read this. Isn't this a picture of our salvation? You know what is our response to the touch of Christ in our lives? I think of my. Literally I think of my own salvation. And uh, which happened to occur inside my own house. Where Jesus came and he met me there. And he touched me. And he saved me, and, and uh, by his grace, um, I choose daily to arise and serve him as Peter's mother-in-law did. Christ comes to us. He knows our illnesses, and he touches us. And, and our responses, I think, should be to arise and to serve him as he, as he interacts with us, as he touches us. Verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And I wonder what that looked like. You know, we read earlier in, in this book that Jesus' fame has been spreading through the region, that great 
multitudes. Before the Sermon on the Mount, we read great multitudes followed him. After the Sermon on the Mount, we read great multitudes followed him. We read that his fame was growing through all the region. And here we have this picture of multitudes of people seeking an audience with this famous healer. And it's challenging to me because I've been asking myself the question, okay, here's what the scripture says, but what does it mean? And how do I apply it to my life? And I've just asked myself the question, do I do, I do that? Do I take the ones in my life that I know that are struggling, the ones that I know that are ill, the ones that I know that are in need of a, of a visitation with Jesus, do I take them literally or figuratively to the Jesus that can heal them and that can restore them and that can make them whole? It's been a challenging question. The ones who are at the ends of their ropes, do I take them to Jesus? Do I intercede like the centurion did for the ones that I love, even, even those lowly ones around me? Do I intercede for them before Jesus? So in these various healings, I see, I see just a few things that I thought were, were noteworthy. I see the humility of the leper and the centurion who were individuals on opposite ends of the spectrum. One, certainly um, uh, humble with, with the cause to be humble. And one who had no reason necessarily to be humble. He was a man in authority. But even he recognized the Lord that he was beseeching. In both cases, the leper and the centurion knew their Lord. I'm challenged by the question, do do I have the spirit of intercession for those around me? Do I recognize Christ's ability to just speak a word and make it right? Do I recognize His authority? And I also, I see the compassion and power of Christ to heal with the touch, to heal with the word, to heal from a distance from, and to heal even from inside my house and uh, to come to my couch where I lie ill and, uh, and touch me so that I can arise and I can serve him. And these, these verses, I think, sometimes I, I read these verses and, and I, I read of the healings of Christ and I, and I, I just confess to you that I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it sometimes. I don't understand the implication of these, of these healings. Healings, miracles, are not something that I have seen um, very often in my Christian life. I've been a, a believer since 1990. I have never seen something that I could consider a miraculous healing. Has anyone seen a miraculous healing in here? Just... So there are, there are some among us that have. I, I remember, I remember uh, um, it was about 11 years ago, my wife and I went to Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida is the, is the worldwide headquarters to Campus Crusade for Christ. And we chose to go there. Micah was a little one-year-old baby. And we, we walked into this huge building in Orlando. And you may know that Campus Crusade some years ago, created a movie called The Jesus Movie. Anybody heard of The Jesus Movie, The Jesus Film? It's basically, it's the Gospel of Luke, word for word, acted out in a, in a movie format. And what they do is they, they create teams of eight people, and these Jesus Movie teams go all over the world 
and they show this movie to, uh, to the far reaches of the globe. And we were, uh, Catherine and I were walking around inside of this, uh, of this building, and they have a whole section that is committed to describing what's going on with the Jesus movie, who, is, who has seen it, where the teams are currently. But, but one of the sections, they had a wall, probably as long as this wall here in front of us. And they had plaques, three layers of plaques all up and down the wall. And each plaque had a description of a, of a miraculous event that had occurred during the showing of these movies in various places at various times. One of them I remember was, uh, um, there, was a, there was a woman in the jungle of New Guinea who the village was looking at this, this video. They, they showed it in the video, Jesus Heals, and in the gospel, Jesus Heals uh, a Blind Man. And this, this woman's little girl who had been born blind tugged on her mother's skirt and said, do you think that this Jesus could, could make me see? And the mother said, well, I don't know. Let's, let's ask the guys running the video. And after the movie, they went up and this team prayed with this family and this little girl had her vision restored. She'd never seen before in her life. And it was... And, and I was reading this in Orlando, Florida in, in 1999 or 2000 going, wow, Jesus heals. Jesus heals. I've been privileged to go, uh, uh, to, go to a couple of conferences uh, here over the past couple of years. Last year, some of us attended a, a conference in Maryland where a gentleman by the name of John Decker spoke. John Decker was a... Uh, was a missionary uh, in the jungles of New Guinea for many, many years. And while he was uh, preaching last year, he told the story of there being a funeral uh, for a child in, in this tribe. And as they were preparing uh, this child for burial, some, uh, some missionaries that were in this village began to feel led by the Spirit of God to pray. And so they began to pray. And they began to pray for this child to be restored. And literally, he said, as, as they were preparing the child for burial, his life was restored to him. And he was standing there, much like I'm standing before you, in, in a little town called Northeast Maryland, speaking to about 800 guys. And he told this story. And I found myself going, Jesus heals. Jesus heals. This year, same conference. We heard, we heard from a, um, a missionary to Muslims named Daniel Masai who told his story. And it wasn't even the centerpiece of his story, but in his, in his discussing his, his, uh, the ministry that God has given him and the things that he's involved with, he told the story of his own one-year-old son who fell into a pool and drowned and was dead for 45 minutes. And... He was literally, the, the EMT personnel were there. And they wouldn't let him near his son's uh, body because he said, it's just too much for you. And he said the Spirit of God fell on him so, so strongly that he was compelled to just say, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, heal my son. Jesus, restore my son. And literally, he, went, he nailed down, kneeled down by, by uh, uh, this child's lifeless body. And it came back. The boy came back to life. Amazing stories. And it's, 
it's difficult for me as, as uh, in my own limited understanding to, to grasp the miraculous healing power of Jesus. But what struck me in these verses, and we're going to get to verse 17 here in a minute, what struck me in these verses was that every one of these healings, every one of these individuals who has been healed eventually died. Right? Lazarus, called from the dead. He went on to die. The, 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 the people here, the, 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 the leper who was miraculously healed, went on to die. Uh, the centurion servant with this palsy that we read about earlier in Matthew 8 went on to die. Peter's mother-in-law who had a touch directly from Jesus and rose and served him went on to die. And it reminds me of, of, uh, of this, this question and that is, you know, what is the, why is that? What, what, is, what is the purpose of these miracles? The miracles in the flesh, certainly. Verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And I'm going I'm to turn back to Isaiah. This is a reference to a a verse in Isaiah 53. 53.4. It says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, there's a, uh, some of you, um, I I work at, at, at Fork Union Military Academy. Some of you may know that and, some of you work there or have worked there. We have a coach there uh, that has a very interesting coaching policy. When you're late to practice, uh, if you're five minutes late to practice, he coaches basketball, if you're five minutes late to practice, okay, and you show up five minutes late, he puts you on the bench. And while you sit on the bench, he takes the rest of the team and everyone else on the team runs one suicide. It's called a suicide. Run back and forth on the court like chickens with your head cut off. For every minute late you are. And I saw him do this one time. I walked into his practice and I said, what are you doing, coach? Why are you doing this? And he said, well, this is how I, this is how I teach guys not to be late for practice. Isn't there something uncomfortable about somebody taking our, taking our punishment? It doesn't, it, it's, it's not something that we're, that we're used to. It's not something that, that I'm comfortable with. I, I, we're conditioned from a very young age, aren't we? To take what's coming to us. And yet here we have this verse that is contrary to the natural order of things. That Jesus Christ has taken our sorrows and, we, and He's borne our griefs. Which is certainly... Uh, obviously fulfilled prophecy in this context. Um, you know, I wanted to draw our attention to a, a, just a, a, a few of the other uh, a, a few of the other prophecies that have come to fruition through the first few chapters of Matthew. 
Because as I read this, I said, how, how could you have missed it? If you were paying attention to this, to this Jesus, if you were watching him, and, and you were aware of some of these prophecies that were coming true, it w- I, I think it would have been hard to miss him, yet so many did. The prophecy regarding his conception. Matthew one twenty two refers to Isaiah 7.14. The prophecy of where he would be born. Matthew 2.6 refers to Micah 5.2. The prophecy of the flight to Egypt to escape Herod. Matthew 2.15 referring to Hosea 11.1. The prophecy of the massacre of the children of Bethlehem at Herod's hand. Matthew 2.18 refers to Jeremiah 31.15. The prophecy of Jesus uh, being called a Nazarene, being of Nazareth. Matthew 2.23 referring to Judges 13.5. The announcement of Christ's ministry. Matthew 3.3. Referring to Isaiah 43. The proclamation of, of God's beloved son at his baptism. Matthew 3.17. Referring to Psalm 2.7. The dwelling in Capernaum. At Matthew 4.15. Referring to Isaiah 9.1 and 2. And now we have this continued prophecy. Christ is our healer. He's certainly a physical healer, but there's more to this verse. If we read a little further in Isaiah, fifty-three, starting again in verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Each of these these descriptions speaks to the substitutionary nature of Christ's work on our behalf. Yes, he has borne our griefs. Yes, he has carried our sorrows. But this verse, and by his stripes we are healed, I think speaks more than to just a physical healing. And what, I would, what I'd ask is that those who are going to serve communion, if you could come forward now. Are you here? Please, come on up. First Peter refers to, uh, to this same verse. First Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now we know, we know uh, that, that no flesh can inherit the kingdom of God. We're told that in 1 Corinthians 15. No flesh can in, in, inherit the kingdom of God. And my, my challenge as I've read this this week is to uh, encourage us to consider just how much how we have been healed. 
It's not just a physical healing. It's an eternal healing. It's a spiritual healing. And um, I know that there are some here who are in need and are praying daily for physical healing. Our, our, our outer body is wasting away. Right? We shouldn't be surprised at this. We get sick. We get old. We catch diseases. And certainly Jesus can heal us. But I want us to look beyond just the healing of the physical body and to consider that how Christ has healed us by His stripes. By his blood flowing down. And as we, as we partake in these elements that we're about to partake in. I, I challenge each of us. To consider Jesus' stripes. And, and what that means for us here and now. These bodies will wear out. But praise God. That our spirits are going to live with him forever. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. So be encouraged this morning as we consider these, as we take these elements. Uh, this is a remembrance. And uh, so let's remember the Lord and what he's done for us. Phil's going to lead us in a hymn of remembrance here. As we read and as we have read today about these workings, these miraculous workings of Jesus. The healings, the touchings, the casting outs with the word. From a physical touch to a distant word. Uh, I'm inspired. I'm amazed at the power of our Lord. But I'm also reminded of this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.50 that says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And I, I encourage each of us here today to consider what the death and the blood of Jesus Christ means to us eternally. This verse, Isaiah 53, I'm going to read a little bit more. And as I do, just remember, this is a substitutionary act. I deserve the stripes. I deserve the chastisement. I deserve the affliction. I deserve the bruises. It's my iniquity. And He has, in His great love, in His great mercy, in His great compassion toward us, His children, He has shown us this amazing mercy. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And this is not just a physical healing. This is an eternal healing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Think about that. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Our iniquities, my iniquities. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Brothers and sisters, we have this great healing that has come once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his stripes. We can praise God today because of that. We can remember him through these elements uh, as part of our act of service. And we can also remember that this this healing, this ongoing cleansing, is being worked out even by Christ in heaven for us at this moment. He is our mediator still. He always lives to make intercession for us. And as we consider these things, may we just praise God in our hearts. So let's consider the body that was broken for us. The body that was without sin. The body that was nailed to a cross. And that was sacrificed for us. For our iniquities. May we remember the Lord through this symbol. Let's eat. And may we consider through this juice the blood that flowed for us, the blood that flowed from these stripes that has healed us with a great healing beyond the removal of a fever or the restoration of physical sight or a cured illness or a, or a return of strength to our paralyzed bodies. This blood that we remember has healed us eternally. So may we remember the Lord and his sacrifice through this cup. Father,
we, um, we are humbled, Lord, when we consider your great power, the capacity that, that only you have to exert your lordship over every aspect of our lives, our physical lives. Every cell in our body is under your lordship, certainly. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can remember together as the body of Christ that you suffered and died for us, that we didn't have to do that. You did it for us, Lord. And we give you this morning all the glory and all of our thanks for dying and suffering and bleeding for us that we could be healed. Lord, may we go forth this day praising you and thanking you for the great and miraculous thing you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you guys.